Hello everybody, I'm Dwayne Mancini and welcome to another episode of the Project MedTech Podcast. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. If you are enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcasts by searching MedTech Money on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. MedTech Money is an interview-style podcast focused on demystifying and raising capital for MedTech startups. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Galen Data. Galen Data is the cloud for medical device makers. The Galen Cloud provides a configurable platform for device-to-cloud connectivity that is compliant to FDA, HIPAA, and CE mark standards. Built on 40-plus years of collective experience developing compliance systems in the medical device industry, the company's goal is to make medical device cloud connectivity available to all at a fraction of the cost while shaving months off the development timeline. In this episode, our guest, Moshe Saffron from RSIP Vision USA, and I discuss his journey from physicist to C-suite, the importance of communication, the history of algorithms and software and medtech imaging, tips on getting your technology adopted by the industry, common errors he sees with startups in this space, what makes Israel startups landscape for innovation so great and so much more. So without further ado, my discussion with Moshe Saffron. Medical innovation starts with medical discussion. Talking about the future and what comes next with Project MedTech. Okay, Moshe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dwayne. Pleasure to be here. Yes, absolutely. So, um, Moshe, let's let's start with just a brief introduction for the listeners on on who you are and 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 what you currently do. Sure. So I, I'm the U.S. CEO of RSIP Vision. Uh, RSIP Vision is a, a computer vision company. We develop uh, AI and computer vision solutions for medical devices uh, and uh, applications. For example, uh, we just announced a module in which we automatically segment MRI scans and up their resolution, uh, and that'll hopefully enable uh, medical device companies to provide surgical planning uh, with uh, MRI, which is a modality that uh, 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 requires uh, uh, zero radiation uh, on the patient. So uh, what we do is we take uh, you know, the latest uh, computer vision and AI technologies and apply them to very, very specific uh, medical and interventional use cases uh, you know, with the goal of bringing benefit to, to patients and uh, to the healthcare system in general. Very cool. Um, and so, uh, can you tell me a little bit about how did you get to that point? Um, you know, what, what led you into this space and, 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 and maybe walk the listeners through that. Sure. So my, my, uh, background academically was in physics and in uh, neuro neuroscience. I did a bit of research there and got uh, very interested in using sort of, uh, uh, using the mathematical tools, uh, that I acquired, uh, uh, in, uh, the academic world and applying them, uh, to solving uh, real world problems, real world, uh, practical problems that could uh, be of benefit. So I got very interested in, uh, uh, medical imaging. Uh, I spent, uh, quite a few years in RSIP vision, uh, doing R and D. So, uh, coding, doing research, uh, developing new mathematical models, uh, that could be helpful in uh, medical image interpretation, uh, managing and building up much of our R and D team. Uh, uh, at the company, uh, and that that sort of role, you know, when you when you uh, go from uh, uh, building stuff to managing things uh, uh, and to uh, communicating, uh, 
many many times what happens is that you become a bridge a bridge between uh, the capabilities of of your team and uh, the needs of the outside world of the medical uh, device companies uh, and the medical world uh, in general. So my current role, uh, I sort of own the relationship between RSIP Vision and uh, the big med device companies uh, in the U.S. Uh, these are both our current collaborators and you know uh, the companies who we're talking to about uh, our technologies, about what we should be building and how we could potentially uh, collaborate and uh, just uh, uh, sort of being that bridge uh, between the technical side uh, and the user needs and the medical needs uh, that, that, uh, that are relevant to us. Perfect. So can you talk a little bit about going from a scientist to someone who is in a you know, very much a leadership role and mm -hmm. and really in charge for the health of the company. Can you can you talk about that transition? You know, why did you do that transition? I think that's fascinating for our listeners. Um, you know, something that uh, I reflect on frequently, right? I mean, because I'm I'm formally trained as a a chemist and have a master's degree in in medicinal chemistry, and 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 I think when I was making that step to more of a business minded mm -hmm. role. It was a weird thing to kind of battle in your head of, well, I spent all these years doing this and now I'm going to transition here. So can you talk a little bit about your experience with that? Yeah, man, I, I can totally relate to that because, uh, you know, I, I love and still love the, the technological aspects of things and, and the mathematical aspects of things. And I, I find myself sometimes jealous of our developers who get to actually, you know, uh, build those uh, solutions. Uh, for me, that transition was first of all about uh, stepping up. You know, as our company grew and uh, as we, uh, you know, gained gained traction in the market and started doing uh, more and more serious things, uh, it was sort of uh, uh, imperative on me to step into that role because of the experience I had and because of uh, you know uh, the the acquaintance I had with both sides of the coin, uh, so to speak. And uh, th there are many. Uh, enjoyable aspects about these bridging roles as well, right? So you get a much wider perspective. Uh, you you, you uh, think a lot about the, the why, not just about the what and the how, but about the why. What should we be building and why should we be uh, building it and how to communicate that, how to encapsulate, uh, you know, uh, uh, either the method used to solve some problem or the problem itself, how to uh, encapsulate that in a pr uh, concise manner and uh, uh, explain things in a way that everybody can understand. And that's not important only to help people communicate with each other, but it's actually uh, a, a way to sort of uh, uh, stumble upon uh, uh, new goals uh, for a company or new uh, ways that uh, an AI company like us could collaborate uh, with a med device company and, and bring benefits. So, so it's about communication, but uh, that communication is also uh, sometimes led to uh, you know actual uh, ideation and, and uh, uh, bringing up uh, new ideas of, of ways to, to solve problems or problems that that we could uh, be helpful in solving. Yeah, that's 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 really helpful. Um, <clears throat> you know, you kind of touched on it there too. I think communication um, is, is an important um, piece, and being able to translate um, scientific terms and science in general uh, into a layman term uh, is is very difficult. Um, and, and something that we need more, you know, scientists who can effectively do this to be able to do it. So, um, I appreciate that insight there. Uh, I, I want to talk about software mm -hmm. and algorithms in med tech. And, and so, you know, maybe if you can start with a little bit of that history and then 
work our way to present day and future that'll help us frame up the conversation a bit mm -hmm. yeah so so uh we we really focus on medical uh, uh image analysis uh in the past uh the use of algorithms and software for medical uh, uh images or for any images you know uh, maybe 10 years ago uh was was pretty limited so you could create a handcrafted algorithm uh to segment some object or to uh, detect something in an image, but it, it would work in a, only in a very controlled environment uh, because of the limitations that, that were there in the uh, technology. So if you're trying to uh, build a, what's called the classical computer vision uh, system uh, based on rules uh, that you come up uh, yourself and you actually code into a computer program, uh, you, can, you can get a system that's robust in some uh, known controlled environment, but uh, it's very, it was very difficult uh, to have effective solutions that would work uh, in the wild. And of course, uh, the human body is a wild thing, right? And, and uh, medical imaging uh, has a lot of variability in it. Uh, and, and what's happened, uh, uh, you know, since, uh, uh, I wouldn't say the advent of AI, but since the, the reemergence of AI and neural networks and, and data and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, all the computing power we have now and all the advances there is that uh, we can suddenly uh, build systems that are not handcraft, but that are trained on uh, uh, copious amounts of, of data, and we can get uh, uh, algorithms that are uh, robust enough to apply to real-world uh, medical use cases uh, in a much wider uh, manner. And that that's uh, started with areas like uh, radiology and digital pathology, where there are uh, very large amounts of data and sort of offline type of applications, uh, screening or, or cell counting and that kind of thing. Uh, and slowly but surely, this technology is uh, going to make its way and is making its way uh, into more uh, uh, the procedures and the interventional use cases itself, um, uh, automating parts of surgical planning uh, and uh, providing feedback uh, during uh, the procedures uh, themselves. Uh, and uh, th this is where we see ourselves as a company. We feel very fortunate to be uh, in this place, in this in this space at this time, uh, you know, in, in the history of, of uh, this technology, uh, because uh, I think things are really uh, just getting started. Yeah, there's there's certainly a long or a, a, a large room to grow in this space. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about you know there's I don't I didn't know much about the software algorithm space, but but I do have a friend who has a uh, a master's degree in uh, software engineering, and and the one time we were having some drinks and, and and talking about this and talking about its use in 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 the healthcare space and. Mm -hmm. Some of the concerns that were brought up were were this, right? So, so if you have an algorithm, especially like radiology is a great example. Okay, so so if you have a algorithm that is reading some type of scan and saying um, yes, it's positive, or or you know for let's say cancer, or or no, mm -hmm. it's not. Um, you 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 worry about the ways you 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 don't worry about so much of the okay it was it was no it wasn't cancerous and, and and it was right or yes it was cancerous it was right but you worry about the times where it said no it wasn't cancerous but it was right so how do you mitigate those risks and also you know it's it's a weird thing right because if if there's still the same risks as if a human was reading it right so if a human read that and said yep no, it's not cancerous, but yes, it was. And if it, and if a computer does it, they are. It, it is. It's weird, but they're way less likely to forgive the computer than the person. So, can you just talk through a little bit of the risk there, mm -hmm. and then maybe how do you address that with 
consumers and other people of, of, you know, how do you address that, that weird mental block that they have where it's like, well, if a computer does it, it's not okay. But if a person does it, they feel like, they feel like they're not in control Mm -hmm. if a computer does it. But if a human does it, somehow they still feel like they have control. (laughs) Yeah. Or, or at least some person has control. Right. So I think these concerns are, are very, uh, uh, legitimate and true. And by the way, the automotive world is obviously dealing uh, with uh, similar concerns, right? So so maybe autonomous oh, yeah, cars are going to be better drivers <laughs> than us pretty soon, but it doesn't mean uh, we're going to want them on the road or that they're going to get through the regulatory hurdles. Uh, I, I do think it's, it's super important to, to address these concerns uh, and to mitigate them uh, from a few directions at once, right? Uh, so uh, the first mitigation is, is uh, what we call uh, human in the loop, right? So usually, at, at least for a, a first use case or a first adoption of a technology, uh, you don't try to replace uh, the radiologist. You try to enhance uh, their uh, workflow. Or, or same thing if, if the user is a surgeon or, or a case planner uh, for, for joint replacement surgery or whatever. So, so you don't remove the human from the loop entirely. What you do is uh, you reduce their workload, right? So uh, you automate a, a segmentation of a medical image, right? You have a CT scan. It's uh, this cube of, of gray levels. And instead of uh, having somebody uh, automatic, uh, excuse me, manually go through the CT scan, and mark uh, uh, the shape of, of the organ, uh, the computer can learn to do this automatically. You would still show uh, your plan, uh, your landmarks, or, or your 3D model uh, uh, to, to the physician and get them to click OK and get them to approve and let them visualize it. So you do have a human uh, in the loop that makes things much easier uh, from a regulatory standpoint. Uh, but you, you remove uh, maybe uh, uh, 90 or 95 percent of their uh, workload. You do the things that are uh, you know, uh, time consuming for them. Uh, and that require uh, relatively less expertise that are relatively easy uh, to teach uh, an AI uh, to solve. And you leave them with uh, uh, the, the 5% or the 1% or the 10th of a percent of the workload, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, th- they can eyeball something and, and, and very quickly, uh, you know, uh, smell if there's something amiss or not. Uh, and then you can provide a lot of benefit by going for those low hanging fruit and keeping a human in the loop. That's the first mitigation. And the second mitigation is what you said, right? So, so people aren't perfect either, right? So computers uh, aren't perfect, uh, but neither are people. And unfortunately, neither are physicians. And uh, the workload on, uh, on surgeons and on radiologists, it's, it's not getting any smaller. It's, it's just getting uh, bigger and bigger. And the more medical imaging advances, the bigger the workload on, uh, on the physicians is going to be, and the more and more of a need uh, to mitigate that uh, is, uh, uh, is, going, is going to come up. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really important to be, uh, to, to listen to these concerns and to answer them and to address them. And, and I, I think it's fine if, if society demand will demand more of their AIs than they uh, demand of their doctors. I think it's, uh, uh, understandable. Uh, but, but again, what, one of the benefits when we do keep this human in the loop, but we also have, uh, uh, the computer is that uh, we can perhaps use uh, AI and use uh, computer vision uh, to reduce the chance of surgeon error, right? So if you're, you're uh, uh, providing some uh, uh, safety warning during a surgery, right? So uh, you can set things up so that you're doing no harm, but you're uh, uh, hopefully identifying some cases in which uh, uh, the human operator may uh, make some mistake uh, or maybe not acquire an image correctly. So you're just saying, yeah, this is a high quality image. You're good. And no, uh, take your ultrasound again, right? So again, uh, you're not uh, uh, trying to replace the physician. You're trying to uh, uh, to supplement them and to give them a tool. We talk a lot about tools, 
so just like you have surgical tools, right? You have you have you have a cautery tool or, or a scissor or a tractor or whatever. Uh, so now uh, software is also a tool, and that's really uh, I think a good way of thinking about these things. Yeah, I I totally agree. So so I have um, uh, a couple friends who are. Um, Re, uh, residents or fellows mm -hmm. actually um, in radiology. Mm -hmm. And when I hear them talk about, you know, sometimes their, their workload, their work day, and it's like, I don't know how mistakes don't happen, right? Like it's, it's, you hear them talk about the workflow and, and how many of these studies they read and this and that. And, you know, it kind of makes you think, well, boy, do I want someone reading my um, without some assistance, right? Assistance would only help, especially computers assistance. Uh, do I want someone reading my scans on their 15th hour of a 16 hour shift or something like this? Right. I mean, um, so it totally makes sense to me. Um, and it also makes sense from just not replacing the human, right? It's, 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 it's like the classic argument of, 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 it's not a closed loop system. There's still some level of uh, user intervention, which I think gives regulators and probably patients just a little bit more at ease as opposed to if it was just straight computer, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So, um, now I, I really appreciate that insight from you. Um, so is there anything else from that AI computer vision software algorithm side that you wanted to touch on before we transition just a little bit into this, um, into some other questions I have just around, you know, building a med tech startup company? Sure. So, so you asked a bit about the, the history of, of uh, AI in, in yeah. tech and in and medical imaging. So I, I think one of the things that's uh, starting to happen today is that uh, so, so sometimes, it, oftentimes the, the low hanging fruit, so to speak, are the offline kind of applications. Uh, so uh, surgical planning, computerized surgical planning, automating parts of surgical planning, uh, analytics insights. Uh, that's a lot of what we do at RSIP Vision. Uh, but uh, one of the uh, really exciting aspects is uh, when uh, you can take uh, computer-aided surgery or, uh, or automated uh, uh, video analysis and actually bring that uh, in real time uh, into the intra-op space, right? So uh, things like uh, navigation, taking uh, pre-op imaging uh, and showing that in a kind of AR uh, during a procedure. Uh, or as I said before, providing safety warnings for a surgery, right? So we have a surgeon and he may be fatigued and surgeons can make errors too, uh, unfortunately, as uh, some of us have a, a uh, first-hand experience with, uh, and if you can provide sort of uh, uh, an assistant for that surgeon, a virtual assistant that can, uh, you know, uh, provide, uh, you know, like like in your car when you have the lane departure warning, uh, or uh, provide uh, uh, that type of intraoperative guidance or intraoperative assistance, uh, these are all very exciting uh, new applications that a lot of the industry is uh, is looking at and is racing uh, to sort of uh, uh, find a way uh, uh, to apply and to bring it to clinical use. Uh, and it's quite exciting to be uh, involved in that space as well. Obviously, the challenges here uh, uh, can be bigger uh, than the challenges in the more offline or, or pre-op or post-op use cases. Uh, but this is also something uh, 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 that, that we're seeing a lot uh, and that uh, is uh, quite exciting uh, to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, seeing uh, going on around us and, and, and uh, being involved in, uh, in some ways as well. Yeah, you know, there's a company here in um, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, it's called MetaView, 
and um, their CEO is actually going to be speaking at. So, so, so we're recording this in early March. Um, it won't be released until after our event, but our first startup symposium is next week. And and so one of the speakers um, is the CEO of MetaView, and and they kind of play in this space. And I, I I've, it's not their current um, product, but I did get to demo their product. Mm-hmm. Um, back when they were kind of in this design phase and it was, it was, it was in this navigation space and it was really, really cool. Um, I think the example you gave, you know, just relating it to lane assist in a car is spot on. I, I really, really like that, uh, analogy cause it, it, it does help, you know, get a feel for how this could support a surgeon, um, you know, in surgery, especially when, you know, some of these surgeries take four, five, six, ten 10 hours, right. To, to complete. So, um, you know, fatigue is a, is a real thing and, and, um, to be perfect for that long, you know, to have a little navigation to have a little lane assist, if you will, would be, mm-hmm. would be incredibly beneficial. Um, so I really like that analogy. Um, well, great. So, so transitioning just a bit, right, into the uh, med tech startup, growing it. Um, on our our initial call when we had first met, you know, we 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 talked about the word commercialization, right? Commercialize something. You're 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 commercializing your product, and it's a buzzword, so it gets thrown around a lot. Um, and and we kind of talked about, hey, what does it truly mean to commercialize? So, so I'm curious for you, what does it truly mean to commercialize a product? Mm-hmm. So, so uh, yeah, so so in a perfect world, right, or or in a perfect medtech startup, right, uh, they they manage uh, to develop a product, they manage to get product market fit, to understand that they're filling a real clinical need, uh, to do the R and D, to get a working uh, system up, and uh, this startup also manages to uh, sell their product to end users, to hospitals, to get that traction. They build up a whole uh, uh, sales team and sales uh, process uh, uh, to uh, you know, uh, bring their uh, product into actual clinical use. Uh, and then maybe they become a new uh, medtech uh, giant or a new medtech uh, mid-sized company, but more likely they still get acquired uh, by, by one of the medtech giants. Uh, and then you know, their, their uh, whole uh, uh, sales uh, uh, operation or, or their whole operation of, of actually bringing the product uh, uh, into the hospital, that sort of gets folded into that medtech giant's existing sales process. Because, uh, you know, a, a medtech corporation, uh, one of the huge advantages they have, and these, these are fields that are fiercely uh, competitive, one of the huge advantages that they have is that they have already all of these boots on the ground, so to speak, right? They have this whole uh, uh, infrastructure of, uh, of selling to hospitals and of working uh, to hospitals. Now, uh, uh, at, at uh, RSIP, so on the one hand, uh, we, we talk to uh, physicians and to uh, uh, key opinion leaders uh, from the industry and, and from the medical world uh, very early on to understand the clinical need and, and understand that what we're building is, is meeting a real clinical need and understanding how to validate our product uh, in the proper way. Uh, um, but uh, what we do is we work with the medtech companies themselves, right? So we don't uh, try to uh, build up uh, the full end-to-end process of commercialization. We're focused more on uh, 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 removing the technological risk by building uh, the technology. 
uh, removing some of the, I don't know if product market fit is the right word here, uh, but uh, 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 technology to use case or technology to medical uh, need fit, uh, de-risking that. Uh, but uh, the real uh, uh, hardcore uh, commercialization, some of that we offload uh, to uh, partners uh, who we uh, uh, find in the medical, uh, in the med, in the med tech uh, space. Uh, and uh, business-wise, uh, that, that has made sense uh, for us. It has made sense for us historically uh, as a company that was a, a bootstrap and, and uh, needs to survive in this uh, fiercely competitive uh, uh, medtech world. Uh, but uh, I, I think it's something to think about. I, I, I read also that there's uh, some uh, conversations in uh, the medtech investing world also around this, right, on how to uh, build uh, partnerships between startups and between existing medical device companies uh, early on rather than later uh, in order to leverage, you know, the, the strengths of each of those sides of, of, uh, of the little scrappy guys who've got this uh, uh, innovative uh, solution for a problem and they can move fast and, and build things quickly uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, reach out very quickly uh, to the physicians and, 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 and run fast and uh, forward with the product uh, development. Uh, on the other hand, uh, some of the commercialization uh, risk mitigation uh, really, uh, the, the big med techs are better than that and, and have all this experience and all this existing infrastructure uh, to do that well. Uh, so uh, sort of figuring out how to, how to partner uh, around, around that and around those kind of synergies is, is kind of uh, uh, interesting and, and interesting kind of questions that we're asking ourselves at our company uh, all the time as well. Yeah, no, really interesting point. It's, 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 it's actually... Um kind of funny that you bring this up because it'll be uh, either one or two episodes before yours. I, I guess maybe three or four. Do you know Tamir Marie from Johnson and Johnson at all? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so um, Tamir is, is with Johnson and Johnson and, and, and talked about, you know, the importance of partnership to bring innovation to the, to the, to the marketplace. Um and so when you had brought that up, it, it kind of sparked another conversation I had before. So there are some who have come on the podcast who have said, hey, startups need to not exit their companies all the time. So they start to retain some equity and it's better to commercialize. And they had a very hard stance on that. And then others say, hey, you know, if you're a startup company, you should always look to exit to a strategic and move on and do your next mm -hmm. innovation. And and so I've I've heard I've heard these strict stances from both and, and, and kind of where I fall is look, in, in some cases, um, it makes sense, right. To, for, for some people, they're very good at innovating. So that's what they should be doing. They should be innovating, trying to exit and moving on to the next innovation others. Yeah. Maybe they are very good at innovating and building a successful company and commercializing it on their own. But, you know, it just depends. And I think everyone looks mm -hmm. for this like clear cut. Well, this is how you should do it. And I don't think it's that simple. Um, it really depends on on what you have and in each case independently. Um, but but I don't think it should be looked upon as a bad thing to be looking for an exit. I mean, if, if strategics are very good at actually commercializing a product, then then great. Innovate, sell it to them and let them commercialize it. So, um you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you brought that up in, in, in your answer. Um, but I think that that kind of dovetails into the, the, the next question of the difficulties of getting a product to market. Um, so, so can you just 
highlight that a little bit and, and maybe some of the various areas where you see, hey, this is this is a pretty big roadblock um, or or, you know, this is the amount of time it takes, you know, just some advice there as as you've, you've seen a lot of these products go to market. So I'm curious on your insight there. Mm hmm. So uh, I think my, my main uh, advice or insight here is, is, uh, is uh, three things, and all three of them are feedback, right? So get feedback early. Get feedback early uh, uh, on the, the business side. Uh, get feedback from, from as many people as you can. Get feedback early from the clinicians. I think that's uh, the most important. Uh, and uh, incorporate that feedback into your roadmap. Don't go, don't go too long uh, down some road uh, which, uh, uh, you know, uh, you, you think is is the right way to solve a problem uh, without actually and 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 that feedback means that actually some aspects that you may think as a technologist are less important you should still be building them early so visualization and and what the user interface of of a, of a, a software should be how it should be visualized uh, that's actually very important if if you can't visualize something in a way that will be uh, understandable uh, to a, a potential end user and they'll understand what's uh, uh, why this is useful for them, then uh, you, you, you need to solve that gap before you start uh, uh, you know, improving on the technology and stabilizing and, and getting more data uh, and, uh, and writing your, your production grade software and, and, and testing and even you know, iterating on your algorithm and all that. So uh, visualization and, and communication with uh, uh, somebody who's representing uh, the end user on the clinical side and also I would say the end user "Quote unquote" uh, on the business side, uh, uh, that's that's a very important aspect uh, to keep in mind. Uh, that that's my main uh, uh, feedback there uh, at RSIP. Again, the, the way we bring products to market is through partnerships uh, with uh, with medtech companies, at least uh, uh, currently, at least up until today. Uh, not promising that we'll only be doing it that way uh, in the future, but. Uh, 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 again, our, our default road uh, is to create uh, software and then to integrate that software into a, a medical device uh, or a medical planning system or a medical software workflow uh, uh, that's uh, used by a, a, you know, a medical device company. Uh, so uh, we, we you know, uh, fo focus on our uh, uh, strong points and, and uh, uh, leverage all the, the boots in the ground in the hospital system that... Uh, uh, the medtechs already have uh, for the kind of the last mile uh, part of it. Yeah, so we've we've talked a lot about uh, commercialization, uh, the the product development, that kind of thing. It's a lot of tasks to do for a startup company, especially mm -hmm. when most startup companies are, you know, one to two people, maybe three. They're a small team. Um, they're raising a finite amount of money each round to get to the next milestone so they can get the next round of investments or mm -hmm. grants or whatever they might have. Um, what about, what's your best advice? I mean, what should startups be doing themselves? What should they be outsourcing? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a, this is yeah. a, uh, not a debate on the podcast, but it's a it's a discussion we have frequently of hey these are tasks you can offload or fractionalize and these are tasks you should own in house. So I'm curious on your opinion on this. Yeah, well, especially in this uh, case that you uh, uh, pictured here of a, a small startup, right? It's it's critical to understand that and and to manage that uh, correctly, right? So I, I read somewhere a, a startup is a a search process for a business model, right? Not necessarily about a medical startup, but just in general, what is a startup, right? So a startup is is a, a, an organization whose goal is to search uh, 
uh, for uh, uh, some uh, viable uh, business model, or in this case, instead of business model, maybe we can say uh, some viable uh, uh, use case that has a technological solution that, that these people know how to solve. Uh, once uh, the search is over, then uh, you know, we've, we've sort of uh, achieved our goal. So, so I think uh, a startup should focus on, uh, I'd say two things. Uh, the first one I called under the title of uh, communication. So I talked about visualization, showing uh, how your product's going to look, what uh, what the user is going to see, what uh, what tool what the tool you're giving them is going to look like, and and communicating that and getting that feedback and iterating on that uh, uh, vision of your product. That's uh, the first uh, important part. And the second important part is of course uh, building uh, you know your your MVP. So build, building the uh, the the core uh, technology, de-risking uh, uh, the technology uh, to to the uh, minimal level uh, uh, that's needed. Th those are the things a startup should be uh, focusing on, and and you know uh, uh, that doesn't mean necessarily that a startup is is not, knows how to even write their own software, right? Or uh, maybe uh, they're they're a hardware company. They're building some uh, a really uh, innovative uh, a new type of uh, a robot. So uh, if you're a roboticist, uh, focused on on First of all, focus on communication with your end users, with your uh, with the, the physicians who are going to use your robot, and focus on building your robot. But uh, uh, you know, don't uh, don't uh, waste your uh, very limited uh, resources, and don't don't burn uh, don't burn that uh, time and or even your own brain power or the or the brain power of your small team on uh, building your own software. You know, find find a partner who can provide that or who can provide you know some minimal version of that. That'll help you uh, get get to the next phase and and uh, and get to your next milestone. Yeah, that's that's great advice. I mean, to boil that down <clears throat> even further, and even at more of like a thirty thousand uh, foot view, what I tell a lot of companies is, uh, look, you you need to reflect internally on the the resources, the strengths that you have, and mm -hmm. then you need to fill those gaps. And, and, and generally filling those gaps with partners, consultants, advisors, whatever it may be. Right. But, mm -hmm. but, but looking at it that way, I mean, that's just a, to simplify the process. That's what I'm always kind of recommending to, to the startups that I come across. Um, so I, I, I ask almost every guest who's on the podcast, um, who is either located in Israel or has some relation to Israel, um, about what makes Israel's healthcare, health development ecosystem so great. Um, you know, it, it's listeners by now, and if you're a first-time listener, if if you don't know, um, just just pound for pound, I, I use that term like a, like it's a boxing term, right? Israel just is produces an insane amount of technology in the health tech space um, for the amount of people who are there. I think that the, the population of Israel is like what, 8 million or something there, somewhere, somewhere near there. Um, right. And, and just, it's, it's, it's called startup nation. I mean, it's just, it, it's an incredible ecosystem. So I'm just curious on what your experience is with that. What are your thoughts on that? Why is it so, so, so good at this? Um, I mean, any insight there, you know, is, is just great for listeners to understand in the hopes that someone, you know, other, other hubs of, of, of innovation can, can replicate this. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, well, yeah, Israel is a, a tech hub, you know, the cliche, the, the startup nation, all that. That's all true. I, on the healthcare side, I'll say something that I hope is not too controversial. So I think it started actually uh, from uh, the way the political system here dealt with the issue of, of healthcare and of funding healthcare. Uh, historically, uh, uh, in, in the more uh, uh, distant past than uh, healthcare uh, providers, there were like HMOs and they were uh, part of uh, uh, labor unions. But at some point, the political system here uh, came up with this uh, uh, system in which uh, uh, the government is uh, paying for uh, uh, healthcare. So it's a single payer system. There's a health tax uh, that's uh, highly progressive. So uh, uh, some, some of us pay a lot um, more uh, on that tax uh, than others. And the government uh, uh, is a single payer. It funds uh, some um, minimal basic level of health care, at least for the whole population. Uh, but then they didn't create uh, one uh, monolithic uh, health care system. So we don't have uh, like uh, in, in Britain, uh, I think they're very proud of the NHS, but we don't have one in Israel, one uh, HMO, but rather uh, uh, we created a competition there, right? So there are four HMOs. And they compete with each other actually pretty fiercely uh, uh, for, uh, for the, the patients, right? So they all, all have to provide the same level of service. Uh, and uh, they, they'll get uh, reimbursed based on the number of, uh, of, uh, of citizens and of patients they convince uh, to use them. And it's fairly easy to uh, move from one uh, HMO uh, to the other. Uh, so we sort of flipped uh, the coin uh, on its head. So uh, it takes a lot of the burden uh, of uh, understanding these things off of the uh, consumer and, and the burden of uh, competition is on uh, uh, the providers uh, uh, themselves and everybody gets a pretty decent level of basic care. Uh, it's not perfect, uh, but uh, uh, it, it is the, you, you get pretty good care. Uh, basically, you know, if, if you can't afford it tax-wise, uh, if you're not paying the tax because you can't afford it, then you're going to get it for free. Uh, and uh, it provides a lot of uh, uh, security to people, right? So uh, you know that if you need uh, some uh, major surgery, it's going to be covered and you're not going to have to suddenly pay uh, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars uh, uh, in, uh, uh, you know, uh, your uh, uh, copay or your past some limit or something like that because uh, you're, you're covered uh, by this system. Now, one of the things this uh, led to, uh, which uh, we saw a lot of benefit for, uh, uh, from now, uh, during COVID, but uh, also in other uh, medtech uh, type of uh, uh, situations, is that uh, the system is fairly centralized, right? So there, uh, these four HMOs, they're competing with each other. They they invested a lot in uh, in uh, informatics and in, in computerizing uh, uh, all the records. Uh, so the all the information is very very centralized. It's not uh, uh, it's not fragmented uh, uh, tremendously like uh, it is in the U.S. Uh, and this uh, this got us a good deal uh, with Pfizer, right? So we are the early adopters of the vaccine, and Pfizer in return uh, got a ton of data on how their vaccine was uh, performing. And I think this worked out uh, luckily uh, very well for Israel. But also uh, uh, this uh, is an advantage for uh, R&D and for uh, medtech startups uh, because uh, uh, you know the the data and and partnering uh, with the Israeli healthcare system uh, to get data and to uh, do experiments. Uh, is a very important uh, uh, part of uh, developing uh, new uh, solutions in, in medtech and in uh, 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 medical uh, uh, software. And this centralization uh, uh, makes uh, the system very well set up uh, to do this and, and to collaborate with the, uh, the tech world uh, on, on the data side and on the research side. Yeah, awesome. I, I <clears throat> We haven't had 
anyone do a deep dive into that before. Um, and, and, and this is why I love asking, right? Because, because every person who's a part of it has, has, has a different yet similar, um, answer to that question of, of what makes it so great. Um, I, I will say too, it, it's, it's, it's always clear that there's a huge sense of pride as well for anyone who is a part of that, um, uh, industry and, 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 and uh, I think that's really fun and and interesting as well. So, um, look, Moshe, I that is that is everything I had on my list to cover. Um, I, is there anything else you want to add before we sign off here? Uh, just that it's really been a pleasure talking to you, Dwayne. Uh, I, I really appreciate your questions because uh, th these are things that I I'm thinking about uh, uh, quite often. But uh, just uh, you know, having this conversation is is also very instructive to me, and you know, uh, 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 pushes me to think uh, uh, about these issues uh, uh, as we should. They're they're you know uh, interesting uh, for me, for my company, for our, for our business, for our uh, you know our uh, our mission and what we're trying to achieve and the way we're trying to uh, uh, hopefully be of service uh, to, uh, to to humanity eventually, uh, and uh, yeah, it's always great to to, to just brainstorm and and you know uh, chat about uh, these topics. So thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I mean, uh, look, I doing these podcasts um, are incredibly fun, um, and getting to talk to everyone and have these you know philosophical conversations about the med tech space and 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 different technologies and and how to you know best advice for startups and that kind of thing it's just it, they 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 are a lot of fun but but i really appreciate your time today so um for those listening um depending on where you're listening if you go up or down an inch um uh, moshe's linkedin will be on there we'll have uh uh RSIP Visions website on there. Um, so, so if you want to reach out or, or, or get a hold of them, you can. Um, Moshe, hang on for one minute. We'll chat offline. But, but thank you so much for your time today. Cool. Thank you very much, Dwayne. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.